0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Shattered Lives. I'm Paul Healy, Chief Reporter with the Irish Daily Star, and I'm joined today again by Mick O'Toole, Crime Correspondent with the Star. We're doing something of a week in review this week and we're going to see how we go going forward. We might consider doing these on on a frequent basis, hopefully a weekly basis. Uh, This is where we review the biggest crime stories of the week and stories that we've covered in The Star and The Mirror and we speak about them in a bit more detail, give you a bit more context in relation to them. We hope you enjoy listening. So, welcome back to our pod. Uh, As I said in the intro, we are now considering doing what we're calling a week in review. So, we're going to talk about uh, the biggest crime stories of the week uh, and give a little bit of context uh, where possible. Of course, there are, you know, in many of these cases, there can be legal proceedings and issues uh, legally that prevent us maybe from saying certain things. So, we will go as far as we can and discuss these stories uh, as best we can. The 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 first story that we want to talk about. is very much ongoing, and it's a terribly tragic and awful case. And we just say at the, the outset that I think our, our thoughts and sympathies are with the family of Detective Chief Inspector John Caldwell, PSNI, um, who was was shot a number of times um, while, while out with his son uh, at an under-15s under football session uh, up there in Oma. Um, so it would have been... So that the time of recording this is Thursday, so it was Wednesday... Uh, night when this uh, when this tragedy occurred um and, and as things currently stand uh, mr caldwell is in hospital he's in a critical uh, but stable condition um but a very very serious serious incident and, and one that's been met with widespread condemnation uh both north and south of the border um so just to get to update people on the facts of it before he started talking about it, uh, as a, as I mentioned, he was at an under 15s football session with his son in the clogger Road, um, and it, uh, he was actually putting footballs into the boot of his car uh, when when they think two gunmen approached him uh, from behind and shot him a number of times, and he was actually then able to run away, he was trying to make his escape from from these uh, would be hitmen, and and was further shot um so th- there are now three people currently uh in custody over this there was a car they escaped in a black car that was found burnt out um and and that's that's the kind of state of play at the moment um as i said met with widespread condemnation the t uh, and the the uk prime minister have all weighed in on it and the gra as well uh here south of the border have uh, condemned it and called it a barbaric attack um but uh i might open this up to you mick i mean john caldwell is a well-known figure. Uh, and no doubt you've you've come across him in your time.
1: Yes, he's very well known, actually, in the Republic. People know about the, the links between the Gardaí Shakana and the PSNI. John Caldwell was a main investigator, what we would call an SA or a senior investigating officer. He did an awful lot of high-profile cases. There's one that he was involved in, but I I can't really talk about it uh, just for legal reasons, not anything to do with him, it's just who it is. Um, But he's very, very high-profile. He's been on, on TV, but not a lot of people would know that He was a regular uh, visitor into the Republic and he had very strong links with Guardi who were involved investigating organised crime and I know of one case he was involved in about a gang of criminals from the Dublin area who were cross-border criminals uh, who were involved in very very serious crime and there were Guardi who were investigating that gang and they would have gone north for various hearings, uh, court and bail hearings and John Collinswell would have effectively been their link man and he was regularly down in there, a public visit and senior guardy here. So he was involved in, you know, really se- involved in issues of serious crime, but also involved in issues of serious organized crime. And I was speaking to one retired detective inspector who I would know very well. He was very very upset last night because he would have, you know, been very close to him. We would have helped him in in several investigations. So look, I think this brought back an awful lot of memories for me because obviously I grew up in the troubles, and I remember, you know, you know, if you if, if listeners remember back. When we were talking about your interview with Shane Rowan, who admitted possessing the Kalashnikovs in the Regency, he was talking about that Kalashnikovs, you know, they give you a bit of distance. And if you recall, I said, well, look, one thing that the IRA, the provisional IRA, as it was then, they're obviously, they're no longer active and there's various other groups out there. But I was talking about how they want short weapons, what pistols are called short, so they can get up close and personal. And this is a classic example of it being up close and personal. I mean, they shot him probably, I would guess, from five or ten feet away. I mean, I can remember, I came down here in September 1997 and one of the last murders I covered up north was, I think it was, well, the ceasefire was in July 1997, it may have been May or June 1997, two RUC officers were shot dead in Lurgan, in County Armagh, and they were shot in the back of the head from inches. And that's what the, 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 the terrorists used to do, get up close and personal. So, and this is a classic example, it's, you know, it's textbook, you get up and you get really, really close. So... Look, he was shot repeatedly. He's critically ill in hospital. Sources I was speaking to in Wednesday night did fear the worst, but thankfully that hasn't come to pass, but he is very, very critically ill. Now, obviously there are suspects. So as I said, he did combat serious organised crime. So that would be looked at. But the PS and I have said that the main focus they're looking at is a group called the, the New IRA. And I think we should talk about them for a minute just to give context because it's relevant to the things we've been talking about. The new IRA came about from a group called the Real IRA, which we know bombed Oma. killed 29 people, including a mother who was pregnant with twins. That was in August 1998 and there have been various splits and offshoots. But in 2009, they came together with a, with a group called Republican Action Against Drugs. Now that may ring a bell because Kevin Murray, he of the famous flat cap theme was involved in Republican Action Against Drugs. So those two groups more or less combined to form this new IRA. Now, they don't call yeah then they and here's another interest in fact we have the real ira the new ira and then there's a group called onh which is an offshoot of the real ira it may be of interest to you and to listeners they don't call themselves the new ira or the real ira they call themselves the ira and we've spoken about this before that when you're charged in the special you're charged with ira membership but it's not everybody thinks ira think the provisional ira but it's not it's just any group calling itself ugline Ahern or the ira and I'm going to be a real anorak and I'll tell you where the name, the real IRA comes from, because it's fascinating. It, they didn't call themselves the real IRA. Again, they called themselves the IRA, right. And what happened was one day shortly after the reform, there was a hijacking around the border, right, and they were getting the people out of the car and they said, we're the IRA, the real IRA. And that's why they were called the real IRA, as in we are the, the authentic, real and original IRA. So they became known as the Rera IRA or the real IRA, but they don't call themselves that, they call themselves the IRA and that's why they're called the real IRA.
0: Fascinating. So many splinter groups. It's it can be hard to keep up. So I think that's that's an important way of contextualizing it for people. um just to go back a bit, because you mentioned um, um, just that uh, um, John Caldwell worked um, with Gardy here south of the border. It just I I obviously I recognise his name because um, I can recall him taking uh, the the witness stand in in the recent trial uh, of Jerry Hutch. Now I'm not suggesting uh, I, I kind of got a little bit of Twitter abuse, as <laughs> you know. Look, you get abuse on Twitter; that's what it's for. But uh, there's a surprise. Uh, look, I'm not suggesting uh, the, the, any link whatsoever, o- other than we're just trying to tell people a bit of who he is. And and here south of the border, um, a good example of how he worked with Gardy uh, is this case. It's the most recent um, public case that that he, uh, large public case that he would have worked in uh, here south of the border. He gave evidence in the trial of Jerry Hutch in relation to Flatcap Kevin Murray. Um, and, and that is that he helped the, the guards who were investigating the Regency Hotel murder he helped uh, look through a series of photographs that were taken at the Regency um, of this famous flat cap shooter and he, ide- he was able to formally identify that person as Kevin Murray from Strabane. and he, he said that he would have known Kevin Murray uh, from from the area um, fr- from being a senior officer in the area himself he would know who Kevin Murray was so that's the context of that and um, it, it shows
1: that the PSNI I do not work in isolation And they don't investigate. You know, Ireland is a small country. I'm going 32 counties here. It's a small country. There's only seven and a half million, what, seven million of us. And there are very, very strong links. And the border doesn't really exist. And criminals and paramilitaries move around. So it does go to show the links between the two parts of the island. And you'll also remember that he also gave evidence in the trial in 2017 of Patrick Hutch, who was charged... Yeah, with the Regency. Now, there was an Ollie Persec we answered. One of the reasons uh, was the, the the death of senior investigator Colin Fox. But he, again, gave evidence in that trial that he identified uh, flat cap Kevin Murray from the it was the Sunday Word photographs. So it just goes to show you that PS and I don't work on isolation, And, you know, there's, I suppose, six degrees of separation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, was there something you wanted to add on that? You were You were flagging me.
1: Yes, yes. People aren't really aware, you know, it's about the size of these groups, right? So Oglin' and ONH, this offshoot of the real IRA, they probably had about 50 members, right? But estimates for the, real, for the new IRA, which is the amalgamation of the real IRA and the public and action against drugs, they're talking about 300 members. Now, that might be a surprise to some people, but because I, I, I can remember we were at a cross-border security meeting between the PSN and the guards and probably MI5, I don't know. But, but we were asking questions and a senior PSN officer said, I think she picked up about 500 people being actively involved in dissidence. But you know what? You know, the Loyalist paramilitaries. I'm going to ask you a question, Paul, right? How many people do you think are members, active members of Loyalist terrorists? I,
0: I wouldn't have a clue. Uh, that's the, the honest answer. Well, say uh, 500. Uh, I'll go, right, <laughs> I, I, I
1: don't want to be like that TV show. Go on, go on, guess. I'll tell you, right? Latest estimates, 12,500.
0: My God. Wow.
1: Twelve. That's more than the Defence Force? Yeah, huge. 12,500. And they're not given, and their activities probably aren't given down here, I would say, respectfully to my beloved media colleagues, probably aren't given the, 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 the attention that they deserve, twelve and a half thousand, which is frightening. And that's an awful lot of men.
0: Um, the, the, the shooting of uh, a police officer is something uh, that is thankfully widely condemned. I mean, this is something that, you know, uh, years ago probably would have been much more politicized. Thankfully, there are people uh, from the unionist side of things that are also condemning this. Uh, it's a horrendous uh, atrocity. Um, and I just want to read out a, a statement from uh, Brendan O'Connor, who's the president of the Garda Representative Association, because I think it, it, it captures uh, those feelings. He says the GRA membership were shocked and dismayed uh, to hear of this barbaric attempt to murder a police colleague. And we absolutely condemn the cowardly attack. Those who have nothing to to offer other than hate and division and hate showed utter contempt and recklessness for the wider community and young people in Oma by their actions. Um, So I think that sums it up better than anything we can maybe add to that. Moving on, (laughs) just to to other stories of the week, um, when we can talk about the recent arrest of Katrina Kerry. Uh, Now, you were across this a bit during the week. Mick, what can you tell us?
1: Yeah, so Miss Kerry, uh, she's a convicted fraudster. She was done for altering a cheque and cashing it. In February 2020, but obviously, she's been at the center. You know, primed him did a lot of stuff about her, about this mortgage company she had. So, she, she had a, a company now. She was arrested on Wednesday. Now, it's really, really interesting. Obviously, we know various state bodies have powers of arrest, okay, uh, principally the she you call it, okay. Um, but there is a group called the Competitions Authority, Competitions Equality, Competitions Authority, and they have powers of arrest. It used to be the Office of Corporate Enforcement, and they arrested miss Carey on wednesday on the so it was for alleged breaches of company company law now that's something that's very very complicated but you know so that means that in a way it's like a a, if it is a crime it's a victimless crime because it's sort of procedural thing but they did arrest her and they will be sending or they can send a file to the director of public prosecutions just like gardee And, you know, it's up to the DPP, it's up to the CEA to send and then the DPP has to decide. But parallel to that, we know that the Garda Economic uh, Crime Bureau is also mounting its own criminal investigation. uh, It's a separate. Yeah, it's a separate one. And look, she hasn't been arrested over that. And, you know, who knows the way investigations go, but people have made allegations that they have suffered financially as a result of her actions. So, look... We'll, we'll see what happens in the future.
0: Yeah, she, she, she was just suspected of scamming up to 30 people um, out of 400,000 400, euro. Um, now, she has come out and spoke in the past and said that she was the fall guy for somebody else. But um, look, she's, she's obviously uh, under investigation uh, for, for, for these allegations.
1: And, you know, so, you know, there is an investigation, but there'd be no arrest
0: yeah. Now, she can be named. I think it's important to state that she can be named because she already has a conviction uh, in relation to fraud. Um, so in in, in a, just to explain, you know, sometimes people wonder why people certain people are named and other people maybe aren't named. Um, she already has a conviction in relation to fraud, and she's a well-known figure and has spoken on this subject. Uh, therefore, I suppose media outlets have uh, greater leeway when it comes to naming her we move on uh, perhaps to just, uh, we, we discussed maybe talking about this uh, on Monday. I had a story in relation to Daniel Kinnaghan. Uh, he's never out of the papers. Um, we, we constantly hear things. And um, so I just think it's worth talking about. It's maybe not a surprise to you, Mick, because you had a, a, a somewhat similar story, maybe just a couple of... Was it maybe a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago uh, in relation to Kinahan's movements. Um, but I was told that in recent weeks uh, he was spotted in the PAM. Uh, islands area of Dubai and, and that he is frequently out there publicly uh, playing football uh, with his cousin Ian Dixon. Now, Ian Dixon was sanctioned uh, by the US Treasury Department, the same as Kenahan, um, a, a company associated with him called Dukashu Limited, probably mispronouncing that, but uh, was sanctioned uh, by the US government. Um, and he's considered to, to be a financier and somebody who works very closely with Daniel Kinahan and is his first cousin. Um, so I'm told that the two of them hang out all the time, that he's constantly, uh, they're constantly in each other's company um, and that for the moment Kinahan seems to be staying put in spite of the fact that he's been sanctioned by authorities in the UAE as well and had bank accounts frozen um, and and much of his his professional life when it comes to the boxing industry has been completely torn uh, apart uh, as a result of these sanctions. He hasn't gone anywhere though, which I think, I don't know if that's surprising to you, Mick. Well, uh, that he hasn't fled. It,
1: it, 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 it sort of shows how difficult it is for us in many occasions to find out what is actually happening. Because there were reports mm. from a very, you know, a very credible paper that he, that he had left Dubai and that he was moving around yeah. the
0: area. And do you know what? Qatar. And... Yeah,
1: and then, do you remember, I won't go into it, but you and I hear things and some things don't reach the threshold that we can print, right? But do you remember I told you, but somebody contacted me and said, uh, he's in a certain location in Dubai on a certain <clears throat> on a certain day of the week. Do you remember that? Yes. Right, and that was a bit of, that was a bit of a oh my god, right, because of what that entailed. Now, I, I, it's it's a nightmare in effect because if you say he's gone, he could turn up the next morning. If you say he's in in the country, he could turn up. Remember, we had you know there's been stuff about the, the but Christie going to uh, uh, Zimbabwe and having you know setting up a headquarters there. It's entirely chaotic. So. Yeah, who knows? And look, and if you remember, just to rant through a wee second, you remember last week a fella in Dundalk admitted giving Daniel Kinnon his, pa- or in fact being involved in Daniel Kinnon using his passport, his photograph. So he obviously has access then to documents, and that was used up until I think 2017 from 2010, 2011. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he has other passports. Do you know what? Who knows? I mean, we have to go and what we hear.
0: I can only only tell you that that he was spotted in Dubai, uh, you know, and that that doesn't mean that he hasn't been moving around elsewhere. Maybe potentially he has. But it's interesting um, that he doesn't appear to have fled Dubai for good uh, in spite of everything uh, that's happened. And also, just on the foot of that, I understand that... uh, Uh, the government um, will be sending a representative to the United Arab Emirates for St. Patrick's Day. So you know that um, members of the government go all over the world for St. Patrick's Day. So there will be a minister going to Dubai. um, And it's anticipated that there might be some uh, backroom talks between diplomats and authorities there. And we know that that's been ongoing, that's been happening. And I think, Mick, you even had a story um, way back when that 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 was going on.
1: Yeah. That, the, that there were uh, efforts underway to backdoor diplomacy, I suppose. But also, yep. there's a couple of, two other, I think, are significant uh, events. Firstly, this was flag posted, we flag posted it ourselves I think, in 2019. The guards are sending a liaison officer to the United Arab Emirates permanently to liaise with UAE law enforcement. And that can only mean more cooperation. We also know that the UAE have an effect, an ambassador at Europol. And Ireland is part of it. Is part of the Europol, It's all the European police forces, and he's there, you know, constantly. So they're they're all trying to increase the the cooperation. So well, let's see what happens. But I, I think maybe the UAE are probably feeling under a bit of pressure just about the whole perception that criminals from all over the place. Because we know about Raffaele Imperiale, the Italian guy who was linked to Ken and who's been extradited. So you know, maybe the, the pressure is beginning to tell.
0: Perhaps so just, just on that subject, um I, I, I I'll be I will be slightly cautious about the way I talk about this, but uh I had a story also that um in relation to a new boxing company which has emerged uh, from Dubai. And I just think it's interesting to talk about briefly just that there has been a vacuum, so to speak, in the sport because MTK Global, which was co-founded by Kinnaghan and Matthew Macklin, um, was effectively a powerhouse and the only real powerhouse uh, in boxing. They had a huge stable of, of boxers, including Tyson Fury, to their name. Uh, But when it came to the sanctions that were imposed last April, uh, the company, uh, lots of people cut ties with the company and and ultimately it folded. And then another company came in called Probellum and they took on a lot of the fighters. Uh, Both of these companies denied having any connections to Kinehan, but they lost out on fights and they had deals uh, revoked and Probellum got itself into hot water. And now that company has had many of its assets taken over by this other company um and this new ceo uh, has come forward uh, and he's based out of dubai and we put it to him have you any links to daniel Kinahan? has the company any links to daniel kinehan he came back denying uh knowing or having any personal or professional links with daniel kinehan um so it's just it's interesting because that company now is claiming to be uh, effectively hoovering up all of the talent and taking advantage of um the vacuum that has been left there by, uh, I suppose, the lack of Daniel Kinahan and MTK Global, which was which was a, a, as I said, a powerhouse and a great uh, thing for boxers, um, and and now there is, you know, there there is a a power gap there.
1: And it's our, us as crime reporters. We're not we weren't experts in this, but we were watching it. the The growth of it started off as MGM, Macklin, and and Daniel Kinahan I think it was two thousand and twelve they set it up. And then 2017, I think, after the feud started, Kenan issued a statement saying he divested himself and he'd gotten rid of it. And the, the, those people came along and got very annoyed about any uh, link, allegations or claims that there were links to it. But then Bob Yallam, when the whole thing came along, Bob Yallam and all was talking about how, you know, then again, it was heavily, up, to use the phrase, up to his in, in in boxing and, and stuff, you know. So um, it's just really interesting to look back at that, I find, because it was a very strange period. The number of people... Especially on Twitter, and so who were batting for Daniel Kinnan.
0: Hmm. It was, just, then I just find it fascinating. Lot, lots of denials, but it, I will just point out that uh, that uh, when the sanctions were imposed, uh, we learned a lot about the Kinnans and their investments and properties they owned. And in an office that was that uh, Daniel Kinan owned, uh, files showed Daniel Kinnan owned an office uh, in in Dubai, and the address and everything. And it was the exact same registered address as MTK Global's headquarters in Dubai. So make of that what you will.
1: And then, it, and then it, it folded, MTK folded. Yes, then it, it folded. <laughs> it was, it,
0: it, it was it about a month yeah. after the sanctions? Yes, yeah, no, yeah a month I mean, after. It yeah. was pretty quick. Yeah.
1: Because the American fella resigned, didn't he, as CEO? And then that was it, Sine.
0: Yeah, and as I said, now there seems to be a power vacuum and this company is coming in trying to uh, trying to take over in effect. Um, so we'll see what happens there. That's all I can really say in relation to that. So
1: we can talk about another case, a separate case uh this this GAA legend who was arrested on Wednesday on suspicion of defrauding people. Essentially, the story is he is alleged to have told people that he was suffering from cancer and he needed money to get to America for treatment. Now, there has been a million, a million, quid, a million quid. You see, you know, probably, yes, it's a lot of money, right? And I think more people are coming out of, not out of the order, but more people are coming forward. Um, He was, there, there was an operation against him in, on December 14th. In a certain part of Ireland, we can't even say that, um, but he wasn't arrested, but there has been long ongoing investigation and usually, it was actually our, our colleague John Cairns broke it in the mirror uh, two weeks ago, and since, the, since then there has been feverish uh, speculation as to who this was, but we can't name him, and we just can't, and people sometimes I think get frustrated about that, but let me tell you, Ireland's defamation laws mean that it's very, I mean I've been looking at all the coverage. All the papers, broadsheets and tabloids and, you know, the national broadcaster and everything have been skirting around the issue. And it's not, we're not trying to protect anybody. We just don't want to be sued. And uh, to be frank, it's more likely that, you know, a newspaper or a radio station will be sued than uh, Seamus435762 on Twitter, who has three followers. And that's just the grim reality. So people like suing people like us. So that's why we have to be careful.
0: Also, just it was reported by uh, other outlets that this uh, individual, um, prior to this arrest, there were mental health concerns there as well. So you know we have to approach these things with sensitivity as well, not just legally, but for, for other reasons. So this person, what this person was approached um, for comment. Uh, and their family was reached, and it it was determined that this person was receiving uh, help for for mental health issues. So it's not as though journalists weren't chasing this person, trying to get them to comment. Uh, they were. Um, so it, you know, it's it's not like everybody was just trying to, as you say, protect somebody's identity. Efforts were made um, to contact this person and to put the allegations to him and to, to ultimately publish them uh, prior to his arrest.
1: And, and I I would go to bed on a Saturday night fully expecting the person you know to maybe have spoken to a Sunday paper and that hasn't happened yet yeah <laughs> so, you know, that's just yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, moving on we'll talk briefly about the Ballyferment incident this is another horrendous incident of, of Gardaí, uh being attacked uh, by thugs uh, in the streets this isn't the first time this has happened in recent months but uh, you were covering that a bit Mick
1: yeah I got the video we put it up on the Mirror website um, and there was a lot of interest in it and I think the fact that there was so much interest and in it shows I think people were shocked by it. Um, anybody like me, or, you and know, I would know the, the views of probably hundreds of guardy between us. We'll put it that way, right? That's not abnormal. Okay, it was... He did get hit with a bottle in the face. That that, that that was abnormal. But the grief they were getting... guards get this all the time. I mean, I remember a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, a video emerged. It was, I think it was at one of these anti... Uh, Asylum seeker protests and there there was a fella and he was giving these, and he was videoing it, or it was being videoed. He was giving these guards dogs abuse. I mean, he was giving them, hocking them, giving them socks. The guards just stood there and accepted. And my rationale has always been, lads, because that, that, everybody was going, oh my god, that's terrible. Guards get that every single day of the week. Every single day, guards are harassed and abused and threatened and everything. And it's only when you know, that we broadcasted or it's it's highlighted that people will go, oh my God, this is terrible. Welcome to the real world. This happens every single day. So guards, you and I probably were speaking to, probably were less, uh, uh, what's the word, excited by this than the average public because for them it's their reality. Every guard has a story, something similar that happened to them. Would you
0: agree? Yeah, well, I haven't said that. I mean, um, there was an eagerness, I suppose, to to highlight it because, as you said, it happens every day. So when a, there is an opportunity, maybe to to highlight that it's happening, um, they're they're happy to do that because look there's always going to be a lack of respect there from a certain generation of thugs (laughs) Um, and as he said that's that's something they have to deal with Uh, but it should be widely condemned Um, and 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 look um, I note that there is um, that uh, a certain minister recently uh, stated that uh, the guards wouldn't be getting body cams or Sorry, not body cams. That the guards wouldn't be getting tasers, uh, and, uh, and tasers, and, and you know yeah. that's something that that the that, that, that GRA members have been calling for for a long time. Um, guards really do feel that that may help them out in, in in situations like this. But sure, look, as you said, it's it's an ongoing problem. It happens every day. Uh, this is just one other example of it. Sadly,
1: yeah. There's there's there, um, guards are not shown sure respect, and people think that. Wearing a uniform enables people to say what they want to them. I mean, that's just we see it. We see it all the time. We see videos and people tell us stories all the time. And whenever I, I, I occasionally tweet and say, lads, this is nothing out of the ordinary, number of messages I get from guards going, listen, you're absolutely right. This is our normal.
0: So we talk about Cornelius Price briefly? I know we did a pod on him earlier in the week, um, but just to update people, uh, it's now being reported um, that his funeral may well take place in the County Low area. Uh, which will obviously be a massive uh, Garda operation entailed. Um, We we have yet to corroborate those reports, but I've read it in the Irish Times um, that uh, it it, it may well happen uh, here, even though he died in the UK. uh, So we haven't got a date for that yet, but no doubt there would be a huge security operation in place in relation to that. Obviously a very dangerous figure, and with that comes associates who are equally as dangerous. Um, And Nicola Donnelly, um, our our colleague, had a report there as well in relation to a pastor who um, supposedly gave effectively last rites to Cornelius Price, uh, and it gave a bit of an insight into his last days in hospital and how he, I suppose, converted uh, to being somewhat of an evangelical Christian despite being in a coma uh, and repenting uh, from all of his sins Again, despite being in a coma uh, before he died. Um, having said that, this pastor uh, was apparently completely unaware of Cornelius Price's criminal past, criminal activities, and and when Nicola put that to him, uh, he expressed his shock and disbelief, but said he still would have gone to the hospital and carried out his services even if he had known those facts in advance.
1: And he and he did put up. Wasn't there? I don't. Well, it may have been on his page. There was a video of, of, of I think of a group of people at. Price's deathbed you know singing hymns and that sort of stuff so look he obviously he he was you know he was one of his flock I'll put it that way so I suppose he was is doing his bit for him but you know uh, when people might not comment on what he him not knowing anything about Mr Price and his background one of the reasons why we wanted to do this is you know Paul and I you know we're sprinting every day stories wise and you know so we, we do stories every single day and Sometimes you sort of forget, but I sometimes, it happens, you forget about stories you did four or five days ago and it's only when you look back and you go, oh, people might not have heard about this. So one story that may have passed people die by, I did. A, Paul did a story a few weeks ago. There was a lady called Miriam Burns who was murdered in her home in Killarney, in County Kerry, in last, last August. And Paul did a story, it was probably two or three weeks ago, wasn't it, about a suspect being taken out of prison, this famous Section 42 warrant. The guards had to get this warrant to go and arrest, so bring somebody out and then arrest them. And he was arrested on suspicion of the murder of uh, Miss Burns. And I got a story late last week or at the start of this week. That man has now been released from prison, so he's out now. And what I can say is there has been a file sent to the director of public prosecutions on that. Just to explain the local superintendent, when there's any file, the local superintendent in charge of the case usually puts in at the end of the file a recommendation so I recommend X be charged with or I recommend that there's not evidence enough to be charged with but it's for the Director of Public Prosecutions to decide. So our understanding is that there has been a recommendation in that file that there be a charge and that is now with the Director of Public Prosecutions. Could take a month, could take six months, how long is a piece of string but we understand that it has progressed to that level and the guards have you know made a recommendation.
0: Yeah, a a very unusual case, but it it does appear to be uh, advancing. That person is currently out now, Um, but uh, as we've mentioned uh, in our reports, that person is known to uh, Miss Burns, the victim, and, and has been now interviewed at length in, in relation to it. So we'll, we'll follow that uh, as it progresses. So, yeah, we're going to continue to do this, uh, hopefully on a weekly basis. I think it's a good idea to kind of reflect on the week in crime, might even give us ideas for future stories. Um, I think just it's, it's worth just reiterating again that our, our thoughts go to the family of uh, of John Caldwell, uh, and hopefully he recovers. Um, Hopefully uh, the, the person's responsible as well, um, brought to justice in relation to it and you want to add there mick well just i
1: i i i'm looking forward to this as i said we, we, we want to try and contextualize things and you know hopefully share our knowledge on various things and it's good you know as i say we're always rushing and look we will be doing plenty of interviews i've got two we've got probably three really good interviews lined up for separate pods in the coming weeks but i just think it's nice just to you know, it might be instructive just to sort of stop and breathe and look back and try and bring context and explain what is happening in the world of Irish crime but one thing's for sure there'll be plenty to talk about
0: Absolutely thanks for listening as always
1: and also just before I go if anybody has any ideas for any areas they want us to talk about you know uh, we, we really do value the, the, the links and the connections we have with the people who listen to the, to the pod and you know Shattered Lives would be nothing without the people who listen so if anybody has anything just DM me or call or Kieran Bradley, our uh, august producer, and we'll be more than happy to see what we can do.
0: Yep. Thank you.